thank you so much for being here today. As you can see, we are continuing a series we started on Easter Sunday called He's Still Rolling Stones. And on Easter Sunday, of course, we talked about God's greatest stone rolling moment in history that Sunday morning when the stone was rolled away and the tomb was empty and God had raised Jesus from the dead. And that particular Sunday, I said, if God was able to do that, if God was able to roll away the stone of physical and spiritual death in our lives, then God is more than able to remove other barriers, to roll away those stones that we think are impossible. God is more than able to accomplish those things. So today we are talking about rolling away the stone of approval. And I'll be honest with you, I do not like the title. I struggled with it. I had trouble coming up with exactly the right title. Um, And and this was the best I could do. Really, today we're talking about two different terms. Um, One is widely used in our culture, and one is more widely used in the church. Um, The first term that is used in culture is the term people pleaser. Um, But that title just sounded a little bit too wordy, rolling away the stone of people-pleasing. It was a little bit of a tongue twister, so I I chose not to go with that one. So what do we mean by people-pleaser? Someone who cares a lot about whether other people like them and always wants others to approve of their actions. So that is the term that is widely used in the culture. Uh, The term that is used more often in the church is the term fear of man. Uh, typically, typically because it is often painted in contrast to the fear of God. Uh, what do we mean by the fear of man? Uh, a fear of the disapproval of man that supplants the fear of God in our lives. But I chose not to go with that one because rolling away the stone of the fear of man sounded a little wordy too. There were too many ofs in that sentence. So, I went with rolling away the stone of approval. So what exactly are we talking about this morning? Here's where we are. I want you to think of it this way. On one side of the spectrum, you have the grumpy old man who doesn't care what anybody thinks. If someone doesn't like him, he is fine with that. In fact, it's a badge of honor to him the number of people who do not like him. He goes outside and tends to yell at kids to get off his lawn, and he doesn't care if their parents are upset. It's fine if no one likes him at all. All he wants is to be left alone so he can eat dinner at 4.30 and then watch Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy and be in bed by 8. He doesn't need anyone's approval at all. There you go. Can, can we just have a prayer and go home? Is that it? Okay, hold that amen, because on the other side of the spectrum, we have the guy who is always after everybody's approval, every decision that he makes, the words that he speaks, all of his activities, everything he does, from the clothes that he buys to the places that he goes, Every decision that he makes is run through the filter of what will other people think? Will they like me? Will they approve? Will they accept what I have done here? Now, obviously, we don't want to be like the grumpy old curmudgeon, most of us. (laughs) 
who has no friends, no one likes him, no one approves. We want to have a healthy connection with other people. We want to have friends. We want to be nice and helpful for others. At the same time, we don't want to be chained to the approval of others. We don't want to find ourselves going from having a healthy connection to an unhealthy need for the approval of others where they are dictating our decisions, our choices, all of our activities in life. So where do we want to be? We want to be in a place between these two guys where we have friendship, where we have community, but at the same time it does not drive our decisions, what our friends think, what others think. We are not bound to them in our choices. So this morning, I'm going to give you a couple of quizzes so you can determine where you are in this whole spectrum. Uh, The first is using that cultural term, people pleaser. And this is a quiz that I found from uh, an article in Psychology Today. This is not a Christian magazine uh, about identifying whether or not you are a people pleaser. So here's what I want you to do on this quiz. Uh, I want you to do the thing where you rank yourself one to five. So one is strongly disagree, two is agree, three is don't know, four is agree, and five is strongly agree. So I want you to do that in your head. I'm not going to ask you to keep score. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but you know how to do it. All right, here we go. Are you a people pleaser? Here are 10 signs that you're a people pleaser. Number one, you pretend to agree with everyone. Yep, whatever he said, what she said. Even if it disagrees with what he said, you agree with him too. You agree with what everyone says. You feel responsible for how other people feel. So if they're upset, they're angry, think it's your fault, you apologize often. You walk into the room apologizing even if you haven't done anything. So again, you're ranking yourself in your head. No, I never do that. I do that. I don't know four, five, rank yourself. I want you to keep up with the numbers here. You feel burdened by the things you have to do. Your schedule is filled with activities you think other people want you to do. You can't say no. Number six, you feel uncomfortable if someone is angry with you. Number seven, you act like the people around you. Number eight, you need praise to feel good. Number nine, you go to great lengths to avoid conflict. And number 10, you don't admit when your feelings are hurt. Okay, so if you were keeping score in your head, if you add up all of your scores and you were 40 or above, you've got a problem. You are probably a people pleaser. And so I need you to pay extra attention during this sermon. Okay, so that's quiz number one. And that's dealing with the cultural term people pleaser. Even even in psychology today, which is not a Christian magazine, they recognize that this is a dangerous place. This is an unhealthy emotional place to be. When we flip and we look at the, the biblical term, it is the fear of man. And the fear of man is dangerous because in the definition we read earlier, it supplants the fear of God. And spiritually, The fear of man can do great damage to our lives. So here's a quiz. Same thing, one to five, strongly disagree to strongly agree. Let me ask you about the fear of man. Number one, 
You treat God like a friend, but friends like God. In other words, God for you is more of a peer, but your friends you idolize, or a friend you idolize, or one other person you idolize. I mean, essentially, you worship them, you worship him, you worship her, and then God is more of just a friend. Okay, strongly disagree to strongly agree. Number two, you want to know others' will for your life more than God's will for your life. The filter that you run through is not, will God be pleased with this decision, but what will he think? What will she think? What will others say about me if I make this decision? That's the filter you run through. You want the approval of God, but you desperately need the approval of others. You want God to like you. You want God to love you, but you will shrivel up and die if they don't like you, if they don't love you, if they don't approve of you and what you are doing. You have taken those individuals and their approval and you've placed it above the approval of God. And at the end of the day, that's what concerns you the most. Okay, so how'd you do on that quiz? It's hard, isn't it? We want to have friends. We want others to like us. We want to have community. We we want to be accepted by others. We want others to speak well of us, both to our face and behind our back. And we want to do things to make that a reality. Yet, at the same time, we can end up in a dangerous place of allowing others' opinions to rule our lives. Okay, so this morning I want us to look at five ways the fear of man is deadly and dangerous in our lives. Now, if you're a regular here, most of the time what I like to do is to take one passage of Scripture and we walk through that passage and we see how it applies to our lives. But on this particular topic, there are so many passages that deal with the dangers of the fear of man that today we're going to look at several different passages. Um, So if you've got your message map with you, if you downloaded that, Let's look at why the fear of man is dangerous. Number one, the fear of man will exhaust you. It will absolutely wear you out. There is a verse that's found in Galatians chapter 1. Galatians was written by Paul, and Paul wrote this letter to the church at Galatia because a group of individuals had invaded the church. These individuals were called Judaizers. These individuals came into the church and they said, Jesus is the way that we get our foot into the door of getting into heaven. But if we really want to be righteous before God, here is a list of things that we have to do. They were all things that had to do with the Jewish law, following regulations, following the rituals. And they said, if you really want to be righteous before God, you need to do all of these things. Paul addressed in his letter to the church at Galatia uh, the Judaizers and what their demands were. At the same time, Paul also had people on the other side of him who were saying, we think, Paul, that your preaching is wrong because you have claimed that Jesus is the only way to God. So one group said, hey, we don't think you're going far enough. It should be Jesus plus all these things that we do. I mean, salvation is such a big deal that we ought to contribute to it. 
A group on the other side who were Romans and Greeks said, Hey, Paul, we think you're way too narrow-minded to say that Jesus is so special that He is the only way. And to both groups, mainly to the Judaizers, but to both groups, look at what Paul wrote. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Here Paul says, if my goal in life was to please man, I would have to change my message for this group to make it palatable to them, to make the Judaizers okay with my message. And then as soon as I left them, I would have to change it again for the Romans and the Greeks who, who were thinking that I'm just being way too exclusive. And he said, it would be exhausting to have to do all of that. And so Paul here basically says at the end of the day, my goal is to preach the gospel. And as long as I have done that faithfully, then I will be able to rest my head on my pillow at night, knowing that I have been true to God and to his word. And if people are mad at me, so be it. If they're upset with me, because I'm preaching the truth, then that is on them and not on me. Now, don't take this too far. Like the grumpy old man who wears it as a badge of honor, I know there are those who want to preach the gospel in a way intentionally to upset others, and they walk away smiling when they're mad. Even if you disagree with someone, you can still be nice and courteous. However, at the end of the day, we must be true to the gospel and not to what man wants us to think. If we are constantly trying to please people, it will absolutely wear us out. Someone who is a people pleaser, they will have a lot of internal conversations um, that go something like this. I think she's mad at me. In fact, I'm pretty sure she's mad at me. Because, see, I spent time with my friend, and she doesn't like that friend. And because we spent time together, now she's mad at me because I hung out with that friend. And so now this friend's mad at me, and I don't know what to do. I, maybe I should call her. I know, yeah, that's what I know. If I call her, maybe that's going to seem too obvious. You know, like I'm really trying to, to reach out. And she knows that I know that she's mad because I spent time with this friend. And if I call her, that's way too obvious. I need to be more casual than that. I know I'll send her a text. That's it. I'll just send her a text. But what should I say in the text? You know, she might misinterpret it. I bet maybe, I know what I'll do. I'll just send her an emoji, right? An emoji. That'll be fine. But which emoji should I send? What will she, I know. I'll send a meme. I'll find the perfect meme to send. A meme that says, hey, we're still friends and I like you, but I'm cool about it. I'm casual, you know. I'm not trying too hard. So I'll find a meme. Let's see. Oh, here's a good one of a cat. You know, this will be great of a cat smiling. She'll love, oh wait, she's allergic to cats. If I send that meme, she's going to think I'm being mean because I sent one of a cat and I know that she's allergic to cats. Wait a second, memes and mean rhyme. If I send her that, she's going to think I've sent a meme and I'm being mean. What should I do? And finally, after two hours of internal debate, some text is finally sent. And if that friend doesn't respond in 30 seconds, the whole process starts over again. And it is exhausting. And if you think I was being facetious there, 
Just go and ask some people who really struggle with this or who struggle with putting up the perfect Facebook post or perfect Instagram post, making sure they're going to get just the right number of likes, just the right number of shares. And if they don't, they are crushed. It is exhausting. It will absolutely rule your life and wear you out. And listen, it, people-pleasing, contradicts the gospel. The fear of man goes right against the grain of the gospel. Every other world religion basically says this. If you will work hard enough, then you can get to heaven or nirvana or whatever their eternal goal is. If you will just do enough good, if you will avoid doing enough bad, if you will learn these principles, if you will be religious enough, if you will say these prayers, if you will do, 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 then you can reach God And the gospel is, the New Testament is the only religious system that says it's not what you do, but what has been done for you. And now you can rest in the gospel, in the finished, accomplished work of Christ. We get to rest in that, not what we, what, what we do, what we accomplish. So here's my question. Why would you take that beautiful gospel truth that we get to rest in the gospel and trade it in for the fear of man and wear yourself out, making sure that everybody is happy and you're getting the approval of everyone else? The fear of man will absolutely exhaust you. Here's the second thing. The fear of man will paralyze you. Okay, here's another scripture. This comes from Proverbs 29, 25. And here's what we read. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. A snare is a trap. The fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. So the image here is of a hunter setting a trap and some animal, a bear or some other wild animal getting their leg caught in the trap, and they can't go anywhere. One of those metal traps with a spring action loaded deal with the teeth at the end, and it captures their leg, and the trap is chained to a tree, and they can't move. And every time they try to pull away, it tears at their flesh, and they are just stuck. Uh, the message version says it this way, the fear of human opinion disables it shuts you down. You can't make a decision. You can't move forward because you're scared. What will they think if I make this decision? Well, if I choose that decision, they'll be happy, but this group will be mad. And so you can't move forward. You can't make a decision out of fear of what others will think. And so ultimately, just do nothing. You do nothing and you hope that by doing nothing that everybody will be okay, that everybody will be happy, but you are paralyzed. You're just trapped. You're not moving forward in life. You're not moving forward in your relationship with God. You're not moving forward with your family. You're not moving forward in any area of life because the fear of man has paralyzed you. There's a quote I came across years ago from an article that was on Fox News uh, by an individual who had been trapped by this people-pleasing snare. He had been captured by the fear of man. 
Look at what he wrote in his blog. He said, those people had power over me. Power over my mood, my sense of self-worth, my dreams. And they had that power because I didn't know where I stopped and they began. I didn't have boundaries between my aspirations and their approval. Basically, they were the idols that I worshipped. I don't know what your approval idol is. Social media stardom, a pat on the back from your boss, an invitation from someone you admire. But Jesus said, if you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. So if you're going to live for the approval of others, know this. That need is sharp and dangerous, and it will drain you of your lifeblood. One incision at a time. If you live for the approval of man, it will trap you and eventually it will kill you. So number three, the fear of man is dangerous because the fear of man leads to dangerous decisions. Um, This is a verse that is found in the book of 2 Samuel and it tells the account of Saul who is the first king over Israel. Saul began with this heart for the Lord. His his reign over Israel began with a lot of hope, and he was on the right track. But at a certain point, Saul's heart turned away from the Lord. And it was the fear of man that caused his attention to go from God to to, to man and to the decisions that man would have him to make. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we see the turning point in Saul's life where God rejects Saul and ultimately then moves and chooses David to to succeed Saul. And the context for that was when God told Saul to go into battle against a certain group of people. And he said, when you go into this battle, I want you to completely wipe out this group. And I want you to wipe out all of the animals in that city. Do not take any for yourself. I want you to completely destroy the city. Saul goes in. He takes the army. They completely wipe out the city, except they save the best animals for themselves. The best of the sheep and the best of the cattle, they save for themselves. It was a direct violation of what God had told Saul to do. So a prophet named Samuel confronts Saul, says God was very clear. Here's what you were to do, and you didn't do it. You kept the best of the animals for yourself. Why did you do that? Here's what Saul said. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I violated the Lord's commands and your instructions. I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. God said to do this, but all my men said, if we're going in this battle and we're doing all of this fighting and we're doing the heavy lifting here, we should be able to keep some of these animals for ourselves. And I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. I chose the will of man over the will of God. The fear of man will cause you to make dangerous decisions in your life. And I think all of us could tell stories where we've done exactly that. When you're a teenager, they call it peer pressure. How many of us have a story that begins with, well, it was a bad decision, and, and yeah, it, it sort of messed up my life for a while, 
but all my friends were doing it, and all my friends wanted me to participate, and so that's why that night I ended up handcuffed in the back of a police car, you know, because of my friends. How often does the desire to please others lead us down a path that is absolutely dangerous? Here are several examples. A teenager is so desperate for the approval of his friends that he acts against his own moral beliefs just to get others to like him. I think most of us could identify very well with that statement. An employee so desires the praise of her boss that she neglects time with her family. A girl wants to be liked by her boyfriend and is willing to act against her moral values in order to keep him around. A young adult rejects the gospel because he's too scared he'll lose his friends if he follows Christ. We could easily list a hundred other ways that the desperate need for the approval of others leads us to make dangerous, deadly decisions. Number four, the fear of man will cause you to love others poorly. This is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Again, this is Paul in a letter that he wrote to the church at Thessalonica. Here's what he wrote. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or unpure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people but God who test our hearts. You know we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. Here Paul says to the Thessalonians that, hey, our motives were not impure. We were not trying to trick you. And we did not use flattery to do this. We did not put on a mask to cover up our greed. In other words, we were trying to please God. Therefore, we were honest with you the entire time. The fear of man will cause you to not speak truth to others when truth needs to be spoken to others. The fear of man will cause you to use others to fulfill your own emotional needs regardless of what it does to them. The fear of man disables you from loving others the way they really should be loved because you're so in need of their approval that you're not treating them the way that you really ought to treat them. Pastor and author Rick Thomas says it this way, either you will live to please people or you will live in the freedom that God provides through the gospel. If you need people, you will suck them dry, and your relationships will always be strained or fractured. If you do not need people, you will be released to love and serve them the way that Jesus did. The best way to love others is to fear God first, to love God the most, and then secondly, to love others out of that fear of God and out of that love of God. And then finally, here's the last thing. The fear of man is dangerous and most dangerous because the fear of man will ultimately keep you from God. 
I alluded to this earlier in that uh, section about making dangerous decisions. There's a couple of passages here. The first comes from the lips of Jesus and honestly needs very little explanation. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. In other words, there is no such thing as a secret Christian. There is no such thing as someone who will not acknowledge Jesus, but is a follower of Christ. Jesus is very clear here. Those who aren't willing to acknowledge Jesus before men, He is not willing to acknowledge before God. This is a very sobering passage. And again, there's really not much further I can add to it. I think Jesus was very clear here. The second passage comes from the book of John and is a section where John describes how many people in Israel had rejected Jesus. But then he goes on to say this, Yet at the same time, while many people rejected Jesus, at the same time, many, even among the leaders, believed in Him. But because of the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue. For they loved human praise more than praise from God. So get the picture here. The Pharisees, who are part of the ruling council in Israel, they did not like Jesus. And yet some from among their group believed in Jesus. They wanted to follow Jesus, but they could not do it publicly. Why? Because the other Pharisees, the other leaders, had rejected Jesus. So therefore, they kept it to themselves. They kept it a secret that they believed in and were following Jesus. Why? John adds, why? For they loved human praise more than the praise of men. They loved more than praise from God. They cherished, they valued human praise more than the praise from God. And they understood being a part of the synagogue meant that they received a lot of praise from others. There was a lot of respect for those who were leaders in the synagogue. They were viewed in the community as as well-respected members of society. And they said, if I make it public that I'm following Christ, they'll kick me out of the synagogue. When I walk through the streets of my town, they will not say, there goes a synagogue leader. There goes a well-respected member of our society. They will say, there goes someone who got kicked out of the synagogue. And they will sneer and they will laugh and they will reject me. And John here says, they so loved the praise of men that they were willing to keep their faith in Jesus a secret rather than receive the praise from God. I think this is a passage, this is a verse that really hits us right where we are. Sometimes we'll read passages where Christians are told, hey, you deny Jesus or we're going to cut your head off with a sword. You know, we read about Stephen and Acts or passages where Paul's life was threatened because of his faith in Christ, and we see them standing up, and we read those passages, and for us, it's a little bit hard for us to identify with that. 
although that is reality for many Christians around the world, for us, it's just not. In all my years of ministry, I've never had anyone come to me and say, hey, last week I was pulled over and there was a Bible sitting on the passenger seat of my car and the police officer said, if he catches me again carrying a Bible, he's going to shoot me on the spot. No, never in my ministry has someone come to me and said, my life is threatened because of my faith in Christ. Although that is reality in many places in the world, in our culture it's not. However, and this is increasing more and more and more with each passing year, the choice between human praise and praise from God is something that we are confronted with a lot. Between Jesus and popularity. Between Jesus and success in business. Between Jesus and that next promotion. Between Jesus and those friends allowing us to be a part of their group. We are more and more and more facing that in our culture. Where we, like those in in the synagogues, we will have to choose. Do we want the praise of men Or do we want the praise of God? Which will you choose?